0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Oh, it's a goal! Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, Sam. Oh. Contri- oh,
2: sorry, Doug. Oh, say, what contri- is this? Go <laughs> home. Go away. I was, I was going to wittily contrive some humour for the intro again. You know, oh, before we start talking again. <laughs>
1: I like this is why Brexit happened, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go. Hello, so Anthony said at the end of the last pod that this episode would be picking over the wreckage of Game Week 3. And wow, was he ever correct. One hell of a wild ride culminated in tonight's 3-1 Liverpool victory over Arsenal, which left many managers seething, an unreal outpouring of emotion which we saw across social media. So this week, as advertised, we will be picking over the said wreckage and trying to make some sense of the madness. One man, however, who did benefit a bit from the madness, as you'll hear um, in the game reviews, is Nick. You are right, mate?
0: Hey, Tom. My benefactor this game week was, was party man Jamie Vardy, the man who defies statistics, sticks his middle finger up to people who talk about non-PenXG and all of that and, and bangs in a hat trick. Still, it felt like a little bit of a one-man party considering the wreckage of everyone else's game weeks. Uh, yeah, just to say who we are course we are who got the assist and you know that already but you can find us on twitter or if you haven't followed us on instagram as well we're wgta.fpl and welcome of course to all new listeners make sure to hit subscribe if you like what you hear and join our mini league as well which has the code cpsulf so anthony how are you That's great to be back again, Um, one hell of a week, but uh, we got through it,
2: (laughs) we can go again, Game Week 4 will arrive in a few (laughs) days time, and it will be better than this one, presumably. Anyway, look, we'll move on to the agenda for this episode. So we spoke about it after Game Week 1, but a ludicrous set of penalties this week have brought 12-yard spot kicks to the fore, even more than before. So we're going to go back for a second helping, but from a different angle so that we're not repeating ourselves. If you want to get more info than what you get today, go back two episodes. Not only were there many penalties, though, there was also plenty of tears with low scores the norm across the board as the template faltered again. So we're going to discuss how to react to this sort of week. And in a pretty jam-packed first segment, we'll also question what conclusions we can draw about teams and whether any of them are giving us calls for optimism after three game weeks. After the break, the league update, everyone's favorite section, correspondence. We've actually received a record number of emails to who got the assist at gmail.com this week. Okay. And uh, we're going to finish off the pod with the Q&A and our transfers and
1: captains. Perfect. All right, let's get the game review out of the way. Um, we can both get up and walk off when Nick starts talking, Anthony. Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'll start I, first. Uh, I got first. <laughs> I, I netted out with 36 um, after my minus eight, so that's uh, 44 minus eight. I'm actually not too annoyed about it. I know that people might look at it and kind of think, oh, you know, that was was a terrible decision, blah, blah, blah. Actually, no, I think my team's in good shape going forward and crucially because it was such a bad week for everybody. I feel like I've effectively hidden that sort of uh, mini course correction within the context of uh, quite a poor one for for everybody on math. Stars for me, McCarthy got the clean sheet finally. Uh, Luke Ayling, Mo Salot and uh, Trent tonight got assists. I think Trent's on free bonus as we speak. And Richarlison was unveiled as the Everton pen taker but you know apart from that De Bruyne a spectacular blank a city uh, imploded and the hilarious sort of moment of the game week where Raul Jimenez uh, deflected in a Thomas Suchek a header Suchek I actually benched him this week for Anguissa uh, from uh, Fulham so I can make Zamboni references um but uh yeah so Suchek's on the bench of six points and Jimenez came in as part of that minus eight the uh, other one coming in was KDB so Jimenez got an own goal um, and got zero uh just to round things off which is absolutely ridiculous i'm down to 1.4 whatever 1.5 million but at the end of the day my team's looking very good for next week um maybe some i could look at marshall and think i'll get rid of him but i think we're gonna leave it i've successfully hidden the minus eight you nah, know it wasn't a good week i'm not gonna try to qualify it and uh some all of your intelligences how'd you do anthony so that's a pretty optimistic
2: take from you Tom even though I got 46 points gross 42 net I'm not feeling as optimistic as you are I kind of look the the Werner captaincy didn't work out and that felt very bad at the time but watching De Bruyne get 2 points Aubameyang who I'd sold get 2 points Salah only getting 5 softened that blow to some extent I guess the The more annoying thing is that I had taken a hit late in the week after the Gabriel Jesus news came out to bring in Phil Foden for Thomas Suchek, who actually got an attacking return, which would have been very helpful in my team. And Phil Foden obviously got nothing. So Cadam Penalty Wilson and Richarlison getting eight points each was helpful. Salah's assist and the Alexander-Arnold points as well kind of hauled me along with his assist and three bonus in spite of getting a yellow card, pretty much proving vital to me on the route to getting 42. Uh, Ramsdale as well got four points, which could have been 11 points if he wasn't so rudely robbed of his clean sheet quite late on by Patrick Bamford. So I feel I'm going to wildcard soon. The plan was always to do it after game week four as we went into the international break. And I, I think I'll hold on long enough. The problem is that a lot of the players who I would have been selling to avoid price drops they've already dropped now the likes of matt doherty for example so i don't feel the same need to get on with it as i maybe would have done otherwise so i'll hang on do my best but overall not too happy with the way things have gone but at the same time since everyone has done poorly it's not the worst in the world 1.4 mil ish overall rank
1: yeah, a good week to have a bad game week. But one man who hasn't had a bad game week, and we're about to storm off in in, in a flouncing fashion, isn't it? Uh, how how did you do?
0: Wait, sorry. Look, bye, bye I'll see you later, guys. Yeah, No yeah, see I, I got six. I got uh, sixty three points this week. Um, did take a minus four, so it's, it's fifty nine. Net. Um, uh, so, what are you even here for, net? So yeah, it was, it, was, it was a bad, bad start. <laughs> Captain fail at the beginning. Timo Werner got me two times two, so that was a bit of a dodgy start. But you know, the defense did pretty well. McCarthy got a clean sheet and goal. Luke Eiling, um got a Got seven points. Luca Dean picked up six. Uh, Trent has got free bonus, so he got seven. In in midfield, Podence who so I brought in on the minus four joined that wagon. That didn't work out because he was injured. um didn't play so I ended up having Mitchell come off the bench for one point but um and also brought in De Bruyne who got two points so that that wasn't great either but Salah got an assist and Suchek also returned which was very nice and of course the main man the man who brought all my points most of my points was uh Jamie Vardy 17 points up front the uh the party man himself so overall kind of recovered a little bit compared to like the shocker that I had in game week two kind of a little bit back on track so that, that's pleasing to see and I guess it's um you know for those that are depressed about this particular game week it only takes another game week and all of a sudden you're, you're back on top again so don't, don't panic too much
1: Oh yeah well done Nick I think as you said in the very first pod there's a reason why you had Jamie Vardy and yeah, it's absolutely proved five goals point. Two five, I think it is, MPXG. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Goals are goals, as we've said many times. Right, moving on to the market forces then. Uh, the movers and shakers this week. What's going on? How's the market initially reacted to what we've seen?
0: Zero price rises yesterday, but 18 players dropping in various shows that so there's not really any standout picks because of the sporadic form of, of many of the FPO assets right now. But there's a few forwards that have caught the eye of many managers. So... Calvert-Lewin, he's currently the most transferred in forwards right now. 317,000 transfers in for him. Of course, he has five goals now in three in games. So, great start for him. Great start for Everton in general, who have um, looked really good so far this season. Lots of managers jumping on that wagon. He's now risen to um, he's 7.4 million. He's probably going to rise again in the next couple of days as well. So, A lot of people jumping on him. It's also Vardy, 163,000 transfers in. He is yellow flagged at the moment because he did um, have a bit of a groin injury near the end of the game. So that's perhaps um, preventing a few more from jumping on him. But West Ham and Aston Villa are home up next. Both of those teams just had an amazing game. They both just absolutely annihilated their opponents, didn't they? And the other forwards, fourth most transferred in player is um, Patrick Bamford. So we keep saying, when when is when is this run of goals going to stop for Bamford? You know, he's defying the statistics, but maybe he isn't. Who knows? He could be the next Viri, the next Danny Ying. So He's got three goals and two assists to his name in three fixtures so far, and lots of managers jumping on him as well. Hundred fifty thousand transfers in now, twenty two point one percent owned and five point seven million.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite crazy actually. Looking at the DCL numbers, like he's um, the second most transferred in player in any position is over basically half of has about half as many transfers in as him. So it's it's pretty substantial how far ahead he is. And I guess the the yin to his yang is Timo Werner being sold by three hundred and fifty ish K managers. Um, that's the second consecutive time that he's been in the Uh, Topping the list for transfers out for attackers. And he actually has bigger sales now on Monday night at recording than he did by Tuesday of last week, showing just how annoyed people are by him blanking against West Brom. Tony Martial is second in this, and that's the second time he's been in this feature featured here uh, consecutively, as well as one of the most transferred out forwards, along with Raul Jimenez.
0: Otherwise, in terms of defenders, Cassano, he's the third most transferred in player right now, 160,000 transfers in. Celeste's fixtures, as I said, turning a little bit of a corner on paper at least, and he's already got three assists and and one goal to his name as well, so people loving the attacking defender there, looks like um, our good friend Matt Doherty is the one that's making way for him for many of the team, he's the fourth most transferred out player right now um, and the highest defender for transfers out with 67,000 transfers out. And finally, in the midfielders, so Son, he, he had a hamstring injury, unfortunately. He's the most transferred out player right now. 400,000 transfers out for him. In terms of the midfielders, few catching the eye. No one really sticking out. Um, James Rodriguez blanked this week, but he's the most transferred in midfielder with 137,000 transfers in. Uh, Zaha, another player that also blanked, also being transferred in. He's got 130,000 transfers in at time of recording
2: few striking things there, actually. Matt D'Arty, it's the third consecutive week he's been the most transferred out defender. Um, Son was by far the most transferred in player last week, and now he's going to be probably by far the most transferred out player this week. And yeah, it is just that James Rodriguez, I guess, in spite of Blanking coming along there is the most uh, transferred in midfielder, shows, I guess, along with the uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin popularity, that really people are buying into Everton and almost no other team um, in terms of performances so far this
1: year. Certainly. But it sounds like the hokey-cokey really is in the forwards at the moment, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it, with how things have gone? Cool. Right, let's move on to the main sort of talking point this week. So as Anthony mentioned in the kickoff, there's kind of three things we'll be looking at, uh, which is kind of pen updates, pens revisited, how to react to a bad game. We can finally, is anyone any good? Basically. Um, but this all comes under the overarching umbrella of the key question how do we make sense of the madness? So, obviously, it's been quite a tough start to the season, and you know, maybe the tale of Song He Min being the most sold player, then the most bought player, then the most sold player encapsulates that very, very nicely. In terms of making sense of the madness first, I mean, we did get there first with the penalties, luckily, did that in game week one, and I wryly remarked then, God, we don't do this again. We might have to have a look at it, though, I think. Just to give an update, the state of the nation, the state of the Penn Nation, fantasy penalty league, to coin the original phrase, uh, to see where we are. Um, and basically where we are is that there's been 20 penalties in 28 games. Um, that's 0.71 penalties per game, <laughs> extrapolated for the 480 games this season. That's 269.8 penalties. Unfeasible, but still absolutely mad. Um, the rate that we're seeing them... Um, for context, last season, 20 penalties were uh, conceded by the time we got to game week 11. Uh, so it's game week three this year, game week 11 last year. That was Gerald De Fayou's penalty for Watford in the Lundstram brace week. So that would have been November the 2nd. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're quite a long way ahead of last year already in terms of penalty awards. And this year as well, it's worth noting there have been six handball penalties there was zero at this point last year. There's definitely been a, a sea change, as we've all seen, all remarked on. There've been lots of kind of debates, lots of kind of moaning about basically the situation with VAR, the rules, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, Anthony, you were the man who was uh, ringing the death knell of uh, of rationality, perhaps uh, surrounding penalties. What do you think is going to happen next?
2: While we're trying to keep as strictly on FPL as possible, I think it's important just to deal with the debate for just a second because some of the takes about VAR and about referees have been, frankly, ludicrous. Um, you'll find them on any television station or on any Twitter timeline near you. Where a player makes their body unnaturally bigger and handles the ball, where the hand is considered to be any part of the arm below the armpit, that is going to be a handball foul in the if it's in the box, defensive handball, penalty. Now, it seems that any extension of the arms from the body, and that's like anything other than the arms against the body in your classic pencil dive, or where your hands are behind your back, anything other than those could amount to making the body unnaturally bigger. There is no room for the referees to apply common sense to this rule. They can't go over to the virus screen and go, oh, mate, he didn't mean it. No, it's, there isn't space for that. Especially if you put your hands above your head like Eric Dyer did, that's an explicit no-no in the rules as well. It doesn't matter if he could, he couldn't have known where the ball is or that he clearly didn't mean it. That does not matter. There is no leeway for common sense for the referees in this. Now, you tried to blame VAR for this, that's not fair either, because to blame VAR just is not correct. The rules have been carefully clarified in a way so that the answer to what is a penalty is easily worked out so that every referee in every game can apply the rule in the same way all the time. There are obvious benefits that come from that sort of certainty in the regulations and equal application in all circumstances, but yes... It also has created a situation where the results of games can hinge completely on micro-infractions of the handball rule that are so fast or so minor that a referee would never spot them with the naked eye. Hell, even the team who are calling for the penalty may not realise that they should have had a penalty in the first place. But that is the way it is. It is not the rule that is stupid. You can't blame a speed camera for speed limits. You can't blame VAR for the handball rule. People need to kind of get over that. Now when it comes to talk about reform, that's pie in the sky stuff. Persistence with frustrating rules has been a feature of the VAR era. For example, the armpit offsides. What we've seen is that our understandings of rules become clearer. The rollout of the rule improves as well. Like we, have, we don't see the zany lines on our screens anymore. We move on. That's going to happen with penalties too. There's also evidence from Germany and this is what's going to be continually pointed to where the current handball rule has operated there for two full seasons. And... I've adjusted these numbers to deal with the German 340-game season versus the Premier League's 380-game season. But basically, in year one, German handball penalties doubled from 19 to 38. In year two, handball pens awarded went straight back down to the old level to 19. So defenders basically adapted their behavior. Defenders are going to just have to get used to not putting their hands above their head as they jump. They're going to have to get used to defending with their hands behind their back. And this is just here to stay. The game isn't gone. The rule's here to stay.
1: I did comment after I think it was a Joel Ward one that there's maybe if you were a, a cynical manager, you may kind of be charging your players just to aim for the hand in the area. But as you say, the rules are here to stay. And Tom, I,
2: I played I've played field hockey for years and a feature of field hockey is that if you hit the ball against someone's foot, you get a foul. If it's in the D, you get a thing called a short corner. And the fact of the matter is, that's just how the game is played. I don't think football is going to go that way because you can actually put your hands behind your back. You can't. The mm. problem with hockey is you can't lift your feet <laughs> up and levitate. So it it stays as a feature. It's 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 going to be fine. But yes, yeah. it will be of course a tactic for a bit.
1: I, I think it's probably just it is magnified, isn't it, by. Social media and people love to jump on the bandwagon, especially if it's a bandwagon of outrage and a bandwagon of change. And I'm not going to go into this because that's not what we're here to talk about, but I. I, broadly agree with you there um but let's move on to the fpl ramifications because after all that's what we're here to talk about and uh billy uh, the kid aka fpl doogle asked a good question here because obviously it's been it's been everywhere like how are we going to do this i saw you know fpl general did something like this fpl heisenberg something like this just popped up you know uh, a front eight of all penalty taking players something like that like, is that a viable thing do we think i mean nick is it all about the pen takers now what, what's your opinion on that
0: I think there's actually quite a lot of correlation in terms of the assets that we're looking at anyway and whether they're penalty takers or not I think certainly I look at the players that I'm targeting right now as a replacement to Verna who's probably going to be leaving my team and I'm looking at Jimenez and Ings and it's just a factor and it's a very positive factor in their favour of course it's just a factor that they both take penalties for their team. So Danny Ings is on penalty to Southampton, Jimenez is on penalty to Wolves. And that is something, of course, that I do need to consider, especially considering what's been happening in the last few game weeks and how we've seen the rule change has affected um, the Premier League. So the, it's not the be-all and end-all of FPL. It's not going to morph into fantasy pen penalty league where we only look at the penalty takers you know, and screw the rest of our team. Um, there's going to be players that do emerge at their clubs that aren't necessarily on penalties that we're going to consider, of course. But, you know, based on based on current evidence and based on what we've seen so far, I think when you're making your transfers, it is something that certainly is going to be at the forefront of most FPL managers' minds right now, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I um, did a little bit of work on this just to, just to chest that out a little bit because you said there's a correlation, there's an overlap between people who are on pens, and people who would be targeting anyway. Uh, so to do this, I ran the list of penalty takers through talisman theory, basically. And the idea behind that, of course, uh, talisman theory, that is, if you're not familiar, is that you should target the, the key FPL point scorers in, in teams in your transfers in. And the overlap is pretty striking. So uh, Arsenal's talisman's or Bami Angles for the pen taker, Villa, Grealish, Pentaker, more Brighton Pentaker, Burnley Wood Pentaker, and so on and so forth. Basically, um 13 out of 17 uh, clubs, Talisman, are also the Pentaker. Uh, throw in Puki and Dini from last year, and you've got 15 out of 20. And two uh, clubs, uh, Man United's Bruno and Newcastle Wilson, you'd expect them to be the Talisman anyway. So, basically, what it boils down to is that the Pentaker already tends to be the best FPL asset on the team anyway. So, it could be said that looking at pen takers is you know, a, a brand new way of looking at FPL and changes the zeitgeist and changes the models that um, that dictate what we should be looking at, but that's not true at all. Um, basically, buying pen takers isn't insight at all. It's just reframing the oldest bit of advice in the book, which is buy the best FPL players. And um, As you said in game week one on the penalties pod, it's a bonus measure which amplifies the points potential of players who already have high points potential through penalties historically, I suppose. Talisman and pen takes are basically the same thing. Good players and pen takes are basically the same thing.
2: It's quite interesting that actually, but it, it does make sense. At the end of the day, it's, it's usually the guys who get the goals that are the talisman, and usually the goal scorers are the ones that take the penalties. It's all quite logical. So to layer on top of all the research that we've already done, I've done further research uh, with regards to penalties. So as we like, we talked about it that there there have been only uh, twenty penalties so far this season. Six of those were handball penalties. Estimates, we talked about a few weeks ago what the estimates were in terms of number of penalties. And we were expecting about 10 more handball pens to be awarded in the Premier League this season. Yeah. We're, we're on course to, to break that number. Yeah, uh, six, six already. Yeah, yeah we're six, six already and we would definitely break that 10. So I looked at match, penalties per match day in La Liga and Serie A last season where they were implementing this rule. Five penalties per game week was pretty normal. And that rate didn't drop off as defenders adapted their behaviours or anything. Uh, Serie A game week 30 actually had 10 penalties in one game week. So that's uh, one penalty per game. Basically, the idea behind all these algorithms was that would be about 22% more penalties scored and awarded in the league. Now, we talked about the record being 106 a few weeks ago if we were to put 22% onto 106, we're talking to about 129 penalties. And look, I guess that's possible. That would be a pretty big increase, but maybe that's the, the limit in this. Um, I looked as well at penalty distribution across teams in Italy and Spain, in Serie A and La Liga. And what we don't have is some sort of conspiracy by FIFA and the higher-ups to protect uh, the top teams. What we actually see is that there's a very mixed set of teams that are awarded the most penalties under this system. For example, in Italy, Lazio, uh, who finished fourth, had 18. Genoa, who finished 17th, had 16. Lecce, who were relegated in 18th, had 15. Juventus, 14, who obviously won. And Roma, 14th, they finished fifth. La Liga, similar story. So this isn't a buy pen takers from the top teams. It's just if you're thinking about pen takers, just because they're from a top team doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get more penalties. Though at the same time, if it's a team that has Wilfred Zaha in it or a team like Manchester United, which has had a proven pedigree of winning penalties in the old system, Leicester the same, then of course, you would think they're probably going to get more penalties than most teams anyway. But it certainly isn't a thing that, let's say, Newcastle will get very few penalties. No, they, they probably will get a few.
1: Cool. All right. Yeah. I I, I see what you I what you mean. And but I guess again it's, it's kind of pen takers and tellism and probably one in the same at the moment. I don't think we have any anomalies. Maybe Jorginho at Chelsea if he's still on them. Mili Vojevic at Crystal Palace. Um IU would I you did take one B, wasn't on the pitch, was he Millie? Um but I think they're the only two anomalies in the league. The rest of the time you don't have like a designated pen taker doesn't offer anything else at this moment in time. Said no ball. Yeah, maybe Noble. I think be, I don't know if Antonio would just be on them full stop now because Noble seems to have become like a bit of a bit part uh, of it. There's, there's
2: some people are living in a pipe dream that Suchek would be the penalty taker as well. I, I yeah. saw
1: he has pedigree. I was like, oh, okay, fair enough, man. He did, did take <laughs> penalties in, in the Czech Republic, indeed. Um, yeah, yeah that, would be, that would obviously be ridiculous if, if so. But anyway, I think the key outtake um hopefully this last time we talk about penalties lol and um, is that penalty takers and penalties are here to stay as a factor in the premier league and i suspect that as the season rolls on if the rate is sustained as anthony has suggested from other leagues it may well be and um, we're just gonna have to get used to it and maybe we'll see these sort of uh melodramatic outrages decrease and decline over time a little bit at least just it will, it will hopefully change next time pgmo or next time fifa can have a look at it but at the moment it just looks like it's going to be how it's going to be right let's take a break there and then move on to the second part of the first section just let all little in. reacting to a bad week who got the assist who got the assist right so we're back and to continue our how do you make sense of the madness podcast we've had little penalties are here to stay get used to weird vari Pen, handle, rule stuff. We're on to reacting to a bad week because obviously this week there was outpouring of grief, anger, teenage angst on the timeline. It was basically like watching the episode of the OC and um, given some of the teenager sadness that I was seeing. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do we react to a bad game week is probably a good one to talk about here. Daniel Mackey has asked, how do we recognise a good team that's had a bad week and a bad team in general? It's probably a good point to start here, I think, just because I think there's a lot of people kind of saying, oh, my team's actually terrible. You know, I've scored 20 points, 30 points. I think the reality is, if you're listening to this, you will not be making bad decisions, really. You won't be making obvious areas like choosing defensive midfielders, putting canter on your team or something. The majority of the time, I suspect you will just have a good team that's had a bad week. Uh, what do you guys reckon to that as a starter?
0: I'd agree with that, exactly. When I read the question, I kind of phrased it in terms of actual football teams as opposed to your to your FPL team, but it kind of worked quite well with the fixture set that we saw this game week anyway. For instance, you, you might have Manchester City assets in your team and they obviously got thrashed 5-2. Doesn't suddenly turn Kevin De Bruyne into a, a bad player or a bad FPL pick, same with Raheem Sterling. And you can say exactly the same for the Wolves team, who... You know, as a freak result, essentially, losing 4-0 to, to West Ham. But it it doesn't suddenly mean that Jimenez is going to be someone you've got to get rid of straight away, because he's got Fulham at home up next. And, and same with the Wolves defence as well. They all got zero points, didn't they? But you keep some faith in them, and they're probably going to return, hopefully, for you next week. So... Doesn't suddenly make Wolves a bad team. We've been watching a couple of years now, and they, they've been brilliant in the Premier League, haven't they? And uh, however, on the other side of the fence, you know, we are noticing a few trends. Fulham conceding three again tonight. But, you know, this is not a statistical anomaly. This this is evidence that they are a bad team. They're probably going to struggle all season. And um, with that in mind, with your Wolves players, continue to own them and, and certainly target Fulham for
2: next week. I would say the Wolves' result was an anomaly. And I think just given that it's Fulham up next, if they had a, a bad set of fixtures coming up, I might be saying something totally different. But when it's Fulham coming up, who are definitely worse than Wolves, I, I think there's no reason not to keep the faith. I think another maybe conclusion you can draw is that Sheffield United are going to struggle to score goals this season. They're just really lacking in that department. And Liverpool are still good. They've been consistently tipping away as well. So... There, there are a few things that you can definitely look at in the league and not get too concerned about. And within your own side, I think provided there weren't injuries or something cataclysmic happening to your squad, you shouldn't really feel too much differently about them after a bad week. It's, it's easy to panic. Like a lot of people pulled their wild cards this week and still ended up with 30 or 40 points. That's all right. That's all right. It was a really weird week. Basically, nobody's captain scored any points as well. And captains do pretty much help the average up by 10 points or 20 points a lot of the time anyway. So hang on it'll be okay and just keep watching
1: just given our experience we've all finished a lot of seasons and nick and i have certainly been doing this podcast for this the fourth year and obviously Anthony, you were you were dossing around before you came on board full time like right? i'm
2: writing here for a year longer i think yeah i
1: mean do you guys think our experience or at least the time that we spent on doing this or being part of the fpl experience as it were has has changed how we feel bad game weeks? Do we still feel kind of the anger, the angst as strongly as some still evidently do? So I I don't think I do. How do you guys take having a a not great week?
2: So, So I thought I'd grown completely insulated to it over time I think there was a stage where I kind of was uh, attached some sort of importance to making sure I was able to you know be like oh another good week for you know your favorite FPL correspondent and then that definitely died away during my first season on Twitter which was a colossally poor season for me that was the Leicester season so 2015-16 and after that I, I just kind of disassociated my emotions further from FPL I think what's different now and I think maybe what makes a bad a game week more acute is uh the context of covid meaning that there are just far less interesting things going on in my life which means that FPL and the football and enjoying the football and enjoying the FPL matters on a you know a scale of importance in my life it is probably higher than it probably not you know healthily should be and so maybe that makes bad game weeks that bit more acutely painful and maybe when the overall backdrop to football is so negative and games gone and var and blah, 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 it 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 kind of makes it a bit more difficult to enjoy it but at the same time i'm i'm not kind of devoid of an objective look at this and being like okay i'm quite happy with my side i still have plenty of good players in my side and so i'm doing my best to limit maybe those external factors that are probably influencing me thinking this game week is bad more so than it was already a bad game week
1: Mm. no absolutely absolutely i mean nick you're fairly sanguine when it comes to uh, fpl game weeks aren't you i mean last week you didn't have that good a week and you weren't particularly talkative i think that's probably kind of the the, the extent of it you weren't um, devastated were you
0: no i mean i was frustrated at the time and you know it wasn't i wasn't particularly happy but I think ultimately everyone feels this way to a certain extent. It's human nature, isn't it, to feel disappointed when when things don't work out. We're all essentially competitive beings by instinct. We may claim not to be, but we're all ultimately trying to win this game or achieve as many points as possible and and get the best rank at the end of the season. And when things don't work out, you'll naturally feel frustrated, especially... Considering a lot of pe- a lot of managers, especially engaged managers who listen to the pods, will spend quite a significant t- amount of time trying to do research, trying to pick the best team. You know, it's not a case of like many of their friends who might even have beaten them this week, who literally log in two minutes, make a change, done. That's it. Quite a lot of engaged managers spend you know hours and hours of their week looking at FP- their FPL team, talking about FPL, studying statistics, listening to podcasts. So when it doesn't work out, naturally. You know you're unhappy, aren't you?
1: Yeah, it's a little more galling, isn't it?
0: I think in terms of in terms of like the reaction and how to react. I think the best reaction is in terms of just trying to move on quickly, isn't it? Start planning ahead for the next game week, or even if if you're that feeling that down, you know another hobby try and find something on tv that entertain you
1: <laughs> take up
0: painting <laughs> <laughs> yeah give, give up not give up fpl but i mean just like engage yourself in, in something yeah, else to, take up you know, take up skateboarding
1: enter- uh, drinking or smoking yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah entertain
0: find some other form of entertainment maybe <laughs> for at least the short term at least until you get to the next game week and then then all of a sudden you have a great game week and you and you refound your your vava or whatever <laughs>
1: Yeah, just don't be that guy who doesn't say anything if he's had a bad week and then won't shut up if he's had a good one because that's the lowest of the low in my opinion. Anyway, um, on my just to add my two cents on this, maybe it's because I've had so many bad weeks by now, but I just don't feel it as much these days. I mean, I guess it's a sense of apathetic distance to some extent, but I just don't feel like I'm kicking every ball and feeling every bit as bad luck, um, as much as I used to, shall we say. Perhaps it's a defence mechanism, perhaps it's just me getting older and I've gone through the motions so many times, you know, that it just feels like I've gone through it all, I've seen it so many times, I've had lots of bad game weeks i've seen them i know it gets better i know it will happen again and after a while you kind of think oh well what's the point in expending negative energy when i don't have to it sounds very zen but that's just the way it is i've just seen so many of these bad game weeks i mean my girlfriend yes folks i've got one said to me last night i had a great weekend on fpl and i was just like no it's been a disaster and she was like wow that's so different because it used to just be like impossible to talk to and it's definitely true like in the first year especially i had quite a few like meltdowns about uh, about how FPL was going uh, when I was doing WGCA. And don't get me wrong, like I'm not mentally detached from FPL. As Nick put it, I put a significant amount of time into my FPL through doing this, You know, tweeting, thinking about my team. I still feel nervous before a game week. I still think about transfers in an inordinate amount. Sure, I dream about it at least once a week. But I guess emotionally you learn how to deal with a bad outcome in a, a more kind of experienced way um the more you do it and tools like i don't know reframing questions like why did i fail to am i happy with the decision i made also really help just give you that mental peace of mind i mean Um, when did you take up yoga um, I took up yoga at the start of this year. Um, ah, here New we are. New there week. we go, guys. Um, there's there's nothing, your answer. Nothing, nothing to do with that. Um, I actually I also discovered craft beer this year, which has really helped me. But in terms in terms of, in terms of the reaction, doing nothing and taking stock is always quite useful, especially on a week like this. And, I mean, I did take just take one and say I know, so it erodes my sort of old patience and sort of pedestal that I that I'm preaching from. But I mean, with things so crazy, with an international break coming up, it is one of those weeks where. If in doubt, do now. And I, I don't know. I, I think I, I find it very difficult at the moment to think that any outcome is going to occur uh, with confidence. So back of basically, I'm probably gonna be doing nothing batting down the hatches. But who knows, come Friday, MF giving him for the siren call of Vardy rings or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean you've gotta you've gotta just um if, if you have a bad game week, just as I think there is some truth on Nick saying about going off and doing something else, getting your head away from FPL for a bit. Because if if you do end up being one of these people who rages and rages and rages, you'll be gone by game week ten. It's a very long season, and if you if you are feeling this bad in game week three, um, you've got to be asking if FPL's the game for you. So we've sandwiched the fluffy stuff in between uh, one bit of statty stuff with the, with the pens. Let, let's go back to our heartland of the stats. Is there any optimism out there? I mean, it's very topsy-turvy at the moment, isn't it? For example, West Ham went from being finished, you know, relegation candidates after losing 2-1 to Newcastle in game week one, now 4-0 victors over Wolves in game week three. I mean, is it all variance? Do we have enough data yet? Um, FPL guidance asked us in light of poor results for City-Chelsea Wolves this week, weekend Uh, you know should we still treat them the same way still think we should double up and triple up on them um i mean nick you mentioned earlier on that you know these players these teams aren't going to stop being good teams and good picks overnight and i think that's probably true i mean is there anybody that you've picked up or any stats that you can mention that help answer this question
0: we've only had three game weeks every single game week it feels like there's a new player trending or one player will have an excellent game week and then all of a sudden drop off the cliff the next next game where you've seen it with like to solve in, for instance. And, and, you know, Bruno Fernandes, for instance, as well, had a great game week this week, even if he didn't have a great performance. But in terms of the the teams, there's, there's a couple of teams, certainly, that have caught my eye. Um, I mean, one that I'm not going to labour on too much is Liverpool, who obviously... They've looked um, fantastic going forward and I've just looked at sort of the latest numbers in terms of the goal attempts after this game. And they're 17 ahead of any other team for for goal attempts. They're nine ahead of any other team for shots inside the box, for instance. you know, So those sort of stats are, are proving that Liverpool, once again, are going to be fantastic offensively, even if um, they look slightly defensively suspect so far. But it doesn't matter in terms of those defenders that we all own because they're getting the attack returns as well. Otherwise, I think the more exciting team, perhaps, the one that perhaps caught us been a little bit more by surprise this season is is Everton. And, you know, since I've played FPL, Everton have essentially personified underperformance, haven't they? They've always been a team that we've brought in one of these characters in... You know, like so Sigerson or Walker or someone, and they've inevitably done absolutely nothing. And we've got rid of them a few weeks later. But this season, it does feel like there's a, there's a little bit of a change with Everton. They, they really, really have had a good start. I think, obviously, they've got a world-class manager in Ancelotti, which is probably doing them massive favours. But they've also signed a, a huge name in Hannes Rodriguez, which certainly we've seen that in terms of an extra dimension their performances so so far they're 4 for goal attempts 42 Um, interestingly enough apart from Aston Villa who some you know frequently haven't conceded a goal yet they've got the second best defence as well surprisingly they've only conceded three goals but you know that just shows how many teams have um, struggled defensively this season it seems like it's all about the forwards all about the penalty takers not about the defenders because so many teams have been conceding goals this season so I think with Everton and Liverpool they're certainly the teams that have caught my eye but as I said too early kind of to do too much statistical analysis very early for the stats because there's there's some teams that are really throwing some weird anomalies right now for instance West Ham and Brighton they're joint second they were top before the Liverpool game but they're joint second for goal attempts with 44 so far West Ham supposedly meant to be a a team in disarray but the amount of crosses and chances that their defenders are creating for the likes of Suchek and Antonio they're just you know storming the statistics at the moment aren't they And, and it's a bit of a surprise really that looking at the data
2: it's going to be quite difficult to gain anything from it pretty much as as Nick has been saying and no matter I think which way you pull the numbers everything are going to look good from an attacking perspective Liverpool still look just fine Spurs are actually ticking along quite well in terms of stuff like shots in the box and Harry Kane in particular is uh, West Ham are actually oddly doing quite well on shots in the box as a statistic as well but Take that as you will. Uh, Leicester, for example, their numbers look quite good. But if you consider that they had five pens, you can, you know, take away the numbers and that it doesn't look quite as nice because three games is such a small amount of games that five shots in the box makes up a pretty big portion of any team's shots in the box. Like, for example, Liverpool have about 35. The data isn't quite in yet because we're recording just after the game. Uh, eh. Yeah, like attack-wise as well, you can also see that the likes of Man United are just not getting in the box enough. They've, um, in terms of shots in the box per game, they're mid-table at best. City, it's actually the same thing And Burnley as well. I've adjusted because, of course, they've won, they've played less than other teams, and they're just not that impressive. But the eye test told you that already, so the data isn't giving you any sort of deeper insight into any of that.
1: No, I agree. I think mean, broadly, no, we don't have enough data yet, and. I feel like we should almost let the madness be a bit, Uh, watch the storm and accept our lack of ability to affect things too much. Um, I mean, you've got teams finding their feet, new personnel too. As you've both noticed, Everton, Liverpool broadly look good, Fulham look bad, West Brom can't defend. Uh, One thing that we are missing perhaps is a Burnley, Sheffield United Wolves in terms of defensive solidity. Um, no Tarkovsky for Burnley. Looks like he's trying to force a move for a very, very kind of mysterious toe injury he's refusing to let them have a look at. Um, Sheffield United, Jack O'Connell, has has a knee injury and he's out for a long time. And uh, Wolves uh, obviously look very bad versus West Ham. I think they're really feeling that Johnny injury as much as they're feeling a, a Matt D's departure. Uh, really interesting watching that West Ham game and Tim Spears in the, in the athletic back this up as well. But the Wolves fullbacks just weren't sinking well and Bolly and Almost and definitely a uh, game with one hero, size were com- just totally exposed. There's a fab image in the Athletic article on this uh, of how hours and Antonio had so much space uh, down the flanks to get into because the Wolves' battery was so narrow and the fullbacks just bombed on. It's, it's, very, it's something that we didn't really see last season outside of the Project Restart in terms of there being an in, indisciplined Wolves team. So you'd expect that to improve. But basically, it feels like it takes a little while just to get the feel of the season, which is why the first three pods for us, this is a very statistical or stats-minded podcast normally, insight-driven-by-data is our sort of tagline. Uh, But the first three pods tend to be a bit talkier from us because we haven't quite got the stats yet to kind of go into those sort of heartlands, but we will for next week, I think, game week four of us, four weeks, that's that's enough to start kind of going on with... um, I, I, I don't know. I, I would call it reversion to the mean, law of averages, or just you know, quantitative data impact over the course of the last few years. But broadly, better teams are more consistent, and some kind of predictability should descend soon. Obviously, it's not completely predictable. We'd all be O R number one, and it's really boring if it is predictable. But put it this way: there's always storms, and we don't like to be caught in them. But who doesn't like watching the thunder, lightning, and the rain through their window? Eh? We just have to just put up with it. I think it's just going to be at least for one more week, a bit bizarre, and it should settle down uh, before long. I feel like I'm giving weather forecast now, but there you go. So, in summary, how do we make sense of the madness? Uh, it seems like pen takers are here to stay. It seems like, in terms of reacting to a poor game week, having a sense of patience, taking yourself away, taking yourself out of it for a little bit before you come back to FPL is a good idea. Absorb it and learn to roll with the punches over time. And is there anybody who's any good? Do we have enough data yet? I mean, there are a few kind of... Uh, eye test observations we can make um but it's probably going to need a little bit more time just to settle down there stick with it it's a great game and it's very rewarding if you do stick with it for the course of the season it is just at the moment very difficult to kind of uh, give any clear-eyed idea of what's going to happen um but yeah before long it will return hopefully with a few more penalties to the game that we will enjoy right let's take a break there and move on to the q a and correspondence after this who got the assist who got the assist So we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist mini
0: league. Um, As I said earlier, if you want to join the league, the league code is CPSULF. And I'm just going to give a quick round up of the top five or top six, actually, because there's two people currently joint fifth. And it's worth noting as well that all of the top six, none of them took hits as well. So a lot of managers seem to be happy with their teams, not making too many transfers at the top. And it's worked out quite effectively, actually, for all of these guys. So so in joint fifth, it's uh, Brian Magata and Mohamed Moussen. Uh, both scoring 239 uh, points in total, 59 points and 65 points respectively for the FPL team. So so pretty solid scores all in all. In, in fourth was um, Darren Axton. He got 72 points this game. He, which is just an incredible score, to be honest, with uh, Team Timmy, Timmy, Timmy FC. And uh, I think it was mainly that Vardy um pick as well as sort of a Kane captaincy in Bamford that kind of worked out for him this game week as well as Robertson as well in defence. Um, in third, James Dayton um, stays, in, stays in third with dyslexia untied and he got 56 points uh, this game week. And then at the top, um, Hirsch Pandya has been knocked off the uh, top stop by... Um, um, he only got 49 points and the new number one who's, who's climbed up five places is Arbid Roshan with Winnie the Kapo. So he got 67 points this game week and he's now up to a total of 257 points in total. So having a great week. Again, that Vardy um, pick really really doing wonders for him as well. as um, a couple of interesting differentials like Mason Mount got him 12 points and Robertson and Trent in defence as well. Some solid stuff there It's almost concerning to hear that You know
2: Some people are staying in Around the top 10 already After this few game weeks It's like guys Give us a chance We want to catch up But anyway Let's uh, bring us on to Everyone's favourite section The correspondence section Your chance to give Your proper opinion Address something That was said on a previous pod or To start up a discussion On something close To your heart That you've been using uh, We have a record number Of emails in this week As I said earlier So thanks to everyone For getting in touch It's who got See. the assist At gmail.com. Whoa Whoa the record, Tom. The, uh, thanks to everyone for getting in touch to whogottheassist at gmail.com and you can send your letter there to get in this next week or the week after that. Anyway, this week's email comes from Shenzhen, China, just showing the global influence and reach of this segment from listener Danny Lyons where he begins. Good morning, gentlemen. Greetings from Shenzhen, China, where we still have warm weather and where we are looking forward to the forthcoming Golden Week holiday. Good luck with that. We hope you enjoy it. I've been a regular listener for a few years now, and I'd like to begin by thanking you for your excellent output over the past years. Now, I've edited out a lot of very kind words from Danny here just to avoid narcissism, but uh, thank you for those, Danny. Um, I've saved one important bit, though. I do like the concept of a correspondence segment during the podcast. Thanks, Danny. Now, would it be possible for you to discuss the statistics around hedging slash doubling up? So what's the purpose of hedging? A double return is always good, but whether it's from two players from the same team or two players from different teams, it really doesn't matter. The only reason I can think against hedging is that it may take up more space than when you were looking to include multiple players from a successful team. All the very best. Thanks again for the podcast. I'm thoroughly enjoying your coverage. Danny Lyons. Thanks, Danny. And also, thanks very much to uh, Joe Gruen for sending in an email. It'll probably be next week's correspondence. But anyone else, get your emails in for <laughs>
1: com for more. Lads, thoughts on that question from Danny? Excellent. Uh, Danny 你好, um, uh, so 你是什么样? uh I'm not going to go do the whole thing in Chinese. Um, but anyway, I think that... Um, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I Truly an
2: international segment. Folks. Exactly.
1: This is obviously something that's uh, really interesting to us, just because it's something we've spoken about a fair bit. Um, I know Nick's got some proper like depth stats here, but I'm just going to kind of give voice to something which is the kind of the, the idea of compound differentials that we've spoken about a few times on the podcast in the past, and that's obviously the. Owning two players from the same team to different to deepen the differentiation, so maybe a little bit different from hedging, um, but in some ways quite effective too as a as a way of sort of uh, um, making sure that you're kind of covering all the bases, as it were. And um, this is very effective, especially in defence. Um, so Liverpool defence, for example, this week, my friend Karam has this. we we'll question from him later. Um, t- so this year, Trent Alexander Arnold is the most owned player in the game, forty-three point eight percent owned. Uh, when he does something you're not like to? gain much he's a bit of a a hygiene factor then you've added if you add in a player like robertson and pair them together then you have some extra points for you if liverpool do keep a clean sheet only 40.89 percent own the pair so that's a compound differential having them both so the idea is that you have a plus b that means you've got less people who have that with you Uh, defensively it's more likely to kind of to come off because clean sheets are shared by members of the back line but offensively you can see that too so you could hedge and say Right, having lots of fingers in the same offensive pie is a good thing. So, for example, Bruno, Martial, Rashford, Project Restart. Having Bruno on his own was a rank killer. We didn't captain him um, because of how highly earned he was. And short term, that abundance of attacking points was a real boon for us FPL managers because it meant a compound differential of two or three of them was a fantastic idea. I mean, you know, if you had Bruno, you might as well have had Martial as well because then you could have had some gain from Man United doing well. And Mala, uh, so Mane and Salah in the past would have worked too. Um, the other way around, if you if you are hedging so i don't know having a goalkeeper as well as the striker in one game from opposite teams that is so you can say well at least um i this weekend for example i own chris wood and i own mccarth hypothetically you're kind of thinking well at least i got a clean sheet out of that normal practice for me is to try to avoid that to some extent and if that does happen i hope that the lower own player does something but yeah i mean nick what do you think about this what do you think about hedging uh what data have you dredged up
0: so it kind of links in a little bit as well with what FBL guidance was asking us in terms of whether we stick with our plans to double and triple up on, on these teams based on our reputations. And I think ultimately, I, I always do try and front those on, on teams I know that can score plenty. We've, we've seen it a little bit this season. We've sort of managed to guess in targeted the likes of Everton in Game Week 2. We're, we're celebrating. and We've seen it over the past couple of seasons. Triple Liverpool, Triple City, etc. Um, has done very well for managers that have loaded up on on those teams. So I looked at my gaming one team this season. I did have Triple Liverpool and a double Leicester. But that was it in terms of the double-ups and the triple-ups. And I certainly think with Leicester, Liverpool, they've proved themselves over the past two seasons that they are a team that you want to front, load and hedge as much as possible. On um, so so sort of from a statistical point of view, I did have a quick look at sort of some of the historical um, teams of the year, I guess, um, and how they all. In, and and the makeup of them a little bit as well. There were some really interesting cases, I think. So for instance the 1617 season, it was made up of four Chelsea players and three Spurs players. So if you spent the entire season tripled up on Chelsea and Spurs, you'd have really done well that season. It was sort of the year of sort of Ali Erickson and Kane all doing well. And then you've got 1516 as well, another interesting case. So that was the year of Leicester Arsenal and Spurs when they dominated. So if you had a team of Mario's, Vardy, Fuchs Beller in Czech, and Ericsson, Kane, and Alderweireld, you'd have done exceptionally well and beaten me, essentially, if you captain one of those guys, um, just based on those players alone, which, you know, was obviously was a particularly bad year for me that year, but just shows the power of just finding those right teams and, and tripling up on them, and I did actually have a look at, a little bit in terms of the defence, so... Obviously, last season we know that Liverpool defenders—they were the three top scoring defenders. That was the case the year before, um, and it's actually—it's been every season since thirteen fourteen where there has been two defenders out of three have been from the same team. So in nineteen twenty, I said the three top scoring defenders were Liverpool players, it Was the same eighteen nineteen. In 1718, there was two Chelsea players who were the top out of the three. That was Aspilaquator and Alonso, if you remember. 1617 was three Chelsea players. This was sort of the year of uh, Gary Cahill doing exceptionally well alongside Aspilaquator and Alonso as well. And in 1516, we go back to Arsenal, which was two. So Bellerin um, and also Petr Cech was in goal. So it's if you include the keeper, that was free for them. And Kashilny as well. 1415, you go back to Chelsea years of Terry and Ivanovic, and 1314 was the year of Coleman and Baines. Surprisingly, but they were both very attacking fullbacks for Everton, and they got a quite a few clean sheets. So that that kind of proves, I guess, the point of it's it's too early to see that team at the moment. It's hard to call. It's probably going to be Liverpool again, but just proves the kind of the power of doubling up or tripling up in, in defense and on the same team, just because you can pick those players, if you can find that team that does go on that ridiculous run of clean sheets and also has some attacking returns with the defenders, you can it really pays off in terms of um, hedging your bets, I guess, in terms of going for a, a double up in defence.
2: Yeah, I guess kinda of to round off the section, like there is always a zombie team that you could have made that would probably have finished in the world number one spot and you know it it kind of really does give credence to this idea that you can just you know double up on a team that's good defensively or just have multiple attacks from the same team and obviously if if you pick the right ones and that's the, the, the challenge of FPL all the time if you're making transfers or whether you're hedging up or if you're having a zombie team you can do extremely well and so no more than everything it's context dependence and getting it right is important but hedging doubling up it's totally a viable strategy anyway we finish off this segment now danny thanks so much for emailing in who got the assisted gmail.com if you want to get your correspondence in for next week or the week after that or the week after that we have it's an international segment and it's growing in popularity so i just can't wait to see more emails streaming in think of like harry potter when all the letters are coming into the house that's it
1: yeah. yeah, thank you very much. Um, and uh, I think we'll get to Joe Bruin's question uh, next week. But I mean, this question next, the first of the Q&A sort of touches on it anyway. Um, but I mean, we'll, we'll go into more depth because uh, Joe did ask kind of a few more things than that about this. But um, the first questions are about wildcard timing. So um, Adagendran asked, with all this madness, should we just be holding on to our wildcard no matter what? And Matthew Derbyshire says, you know, he's working on a target overall score and he's still ahead of where he wants to be. Um, but he's had a diabolical week. He asks, "Isn't there's no need to panic, right? Hold my wild card, yeah. What is our view on the wild card, Anthony? You said before we came on that you were maybe getting close to pressing the button, and our friend uh, Chris Fio we've just learned has pressed the button, so it is going on. Um, what do you think? So the thing is,
2: I just feel like I can benefit more by waiting one more week and." not being caught out by international break injuries and everything and COVID, which was a bit of a feature of the last international break as well. If I use my wildcard between game week four and game week five, I just feel like I I could be setting myself up for failure if I use it right now. And so even though there are definitely fires I would like to put out in my team, like Matt Doherty, for example, I'm now classifying as a fire. I didn't classify him as a fire last week, but he is, he is certainly a flame at this point within my side. Um, there are these issues but at the same time if i act now i'll probably catch myself out and another week's worth of date as we were talking about couldn't do any harm either so with that in mind it's like just a little bit more patience seems like it could benefit me more in the long run and of course like if i'm wild carding, that's a that's a 10 week game week decision minimum really that i'd be taking if i do make that and with that in mind doing it now is just not the right time
0: I'm not considering wildcarding at this particular moment in time, certainly with the fixtures for my team in the next game week. It looks pretty strong. It looks pretty decent set up. There's no chance this particular game week. I did consider perhaps game week five, perhaps as the wildcards change, just because there's a little bit of a shift in fixtures Um, for my team. You know, the likes of the Manchester City start to have some really good fixtures and Leicester's fixtures, are a little bit tougher after that. So it might be time to get rid of the likes of Justin, especially if Ferreira's coming back. So, I mean, that's potentially when I am looking to consider to wild card. I certainly think, you know, we've seen in the last couple of game weeks, I guess, some of the early wild carders punished. And, you know, they got punished severely this week. And they've now also got that added um, element of the fact that they no longer have that chip in their arsenal as well. And that that's concerned me. In regards to wild carding, I'd rather kind of hang on to the chip and then at least I've kind of got it to play with a little bit later on in the season once we do have a few clearer stats and a few more obvious contenders that are players that aren't perhaps just you know on a one week frenzy and are going to be solid picks for the whole season. And obviously, as well, I know this is something you've looked at, Tom, um, separately, but there's also we've got the the blank in um, game week 18 and the double in game week 19, so it might even be that if if I don't find an optimum moment over the course of the season, I just hang on to it as late as possible to try and, um, you know, give myself an advantage once those blanks and doubles um, come into play.
1: Yep, my explicit aim is to get to game 16 and use my wild card. then. And that's my explicit aim um, because of what Nick's just mentioned with that kind of very difficult sort of transition uh, around that time. However, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. If my team needs it beforehand, I'll do it. I mean, I did take the minus eight this week to try to preserve that wildcard. I'm happy with that decision. I may well do that again. And, but when I'm looking at, I think we said last week, it's kind of a minus 12. That's the sort of time I will start looking at wild carding. I haven't got that many fires at the moment. In fact, I've probably got not very many. Or not, I can kind of figure out like a Martial with a two free transfers over the international break. I prefer to get to game week 16, 100k Having used my wild card, and need to take hits rather than being in game week 16, 1 million, having held on to my wild card through thick and thin. Um, I think that you can't get overly into a strategy. Sometimes you've got to be adaptable. If your team's really failing, you need to use that wild card and use it. But um, my express aim still is to get to game week 16 and use it then because it'd be such an interesting and useful tool around them. But I completely understand why, you know, uh, Anthony, you go around game week four or, you know, it sounds like Nick's more aligned with me, but. You know, whenever you use it, I'm sure you use it for a reason. You're not going to just be pulling it uh, willy-nilly, are you? Um, so yeah, no need to panic would be my view. Um, but if you do feel the time is right, then um, I don't think we can really criticize that either. So there you go. Right. Next question, defenders of interest. So Isaac Dorgan asks if there's any decent defenders out there at all. He's got Tierney and he wants to replace him for some reason. And uh, Dabby Peace mentions Castagne, who we mentioned earlier on. As looking perfect for that sort of role. Uh, what do we think? Are there any defenders who are looking of interest uh, given the amount of goals that are going in uh, beyond kind of the usual TA and Robertson? I think Castanier is actually quite a decent shout, isn't he?
0: Yeah, I think Castanier, he, he has had an excellent start to his Leicester career and he's been seriously involved in those attacks, hasn't he? But I was actually surprised to see that he'd only created three chances so he's, and he's had three assists. So. It, it seems like his sort of attacking output in terms of the underlying stats looks a little bit unsustainable considering what he's produced so far. Um, he has had eight penalty boxer touches, which has led to, those nice fantasy assists that he has been picking up on the side, of course, by being fouled in the box. Um, but otherwise, I think there's a few other fullbacks really caught my eye. Having Lamptey, he looks like a really, really good shout over the course of the season. Again, he's one that's got free assists, um, despite only creating a couple of chances, getting those fancy assists from penalties. Again, but it doesn't really matter. The fact is that he's getting those fancy assists because he's so forward all the time. He's getting into the box, um, you know, getting into those dangerous positions, and you know, I like the Start of the season but because of Brighton's tougher fixtures I didn't consider him for my team but now I think the fixtures are going to start to turn a corner and he's certainly impressed in those opening fixtures at 4.5 he's someone that is strongly on my radar otherwise um, you've also got Reese James of course Um, fantastic Um, well he scored, it's just such a weird stat that he scored zero points last game week, but still managed to pick up a bonus point I don't think that's ever happened in the FPL before and certainly no one's um, asked the question no one brought up another player that's ever managed to achieve that so it's a record there but um he created six chances which is more than any other player this game week um has had 30 crosses as well so most of the league so far certainly a player that is on my radar again in terms of defenders and I also give a shout out to my man Luca Dean another player that's doing very well in terms of creating chances again I know that Everton look a bit shaky defensively, but it seems to be the case for every single FPL team right now, doesn't it? And that, that stat that they've actually conceded the least goals bar Aston Villa is um, perhaps testament to the fact that they're not as shaky as, as we all think they are.
1: Yeah, okay, Nick. I, I, I get all those. I've, I think I completely agree with them, so I'm not going to go over them again. Um, I think just to throw a few kind of cheaper players into the mix, perhaps. I mean, at the moment, the stats are a little bit up and down. Um, but in terms of the eye test, I think one guy, I mean, I own Luke Hayling, but watching the Leeds game, I think that Stuart Dallas um, definitely was a lot more attacking as FPL stag. I uh, don't know who he is, uh, some, some random bozo, but he wrote that in um, Hub um that he was perhaps a little bit better than anything in terms of going forward. And he certainly seems to be doing very well in the underlying stats. at the moment. not going to cite them because it was only a free game week, so what's the point? Um, so a couple of other people to just mention quickly. Um, Adam Webster, so everyone's been going on about Lampty. But I noticed uh, from the eye test again um, that... He was the man who was the main set-piece threat. I mentioned in the last pod with, uh, with Late Rise, of, uh, that's the sort of thing that we look for amongst the cheap players, or at least I look for. And he was the one that all of the set-pieces were looking for, either the knockdown or just kind of being the main target. And um, He was also the highest scoring player last season, who was a 4.5 million defender this season. Um, so I'd be very interested in him going forward. It looks like he'll play 38 out of 38. And uh, in the same vein, concert. at they're looking very, very defensively solid. And of course, top of that, you know, Castagne, Rich James, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, What do you think, Anthony?
2: Honestly, you guys have pulled
1: out all the interesting
2: players. And I think what's most interesting to me about the defenders is the fact that pretty much already, in terms of defensive solidity, you couldn't say Liverpool are bad. And in terms of attacking returns and attacking prowess and attacking underlying stats, uh, the three big names, Van Dijk, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, are already starting to, you know stick out from the pack to some extent and so I guess it shows that the Liverpool double up in defence isn't necessarily as it isn't necessarily dead whatsoever and I think if you were wild carding this week or certainly when I'm wild carding presumably in a week's time I think it will definitely be something that's I wouldn't be ruling out doing just purely because they're just going to return those points all the way through the season I think it, it leads into really another question that we've had from Radiohead Tim on value weighting what his question really gets at is just what is value? And the fact of the matter is, is that like there aren't very many attackers who are, let's say, six mil and over, or who are going to be outscored by any of the forwards over the season. Patrick Bamford included, who has had a brilliant start in his time in the Premier League with Leeds. But the fact of the matter is, is that is what he's doing sustainable? it's it's questionable at least and what we do know is that the likes of Robertson and TAA have that long-term pedigree that you can kind of rely on that if you were building a wildcard team that as i said earlier you're looking at 10 weeks into the future you can put them in there and you'll know that they're going to probably return your points they'll get a few clean sheets along the way and you'll probably be smiling at the end whereas with Bamford you might be buckling yourself up for a bit of frustration
1: Certainly, I think I answered that question pretty well, actually. So let's move on to uh, Sonny's time up. Um, Karam Tizer, who asked, I thought, on Son replacements because obviously Son um, looks like he got, a good, got, he got hooked at halftime. Uh, looks like he's uh, got an injury according to Mourinho, and obviously a lot of people have been selling him. Uh, we've got some indication from market forces, don't we, Nick, where people are going. But I mean, if you own Son, what would you be doing?
0: No real sort of standout pickers there in terms of the replacements right now, especially around that price point. It's a bit of an awkward price point, nine point one million. So you'd probably be looking to downgrade. So I think certainly if you've got a little bit of excess cash in the bank, uh, Bruno would be someone that would be perhaps on the radar. But I think for me, perhaps the main person I'd probably suggest is. It's a little bit of a sort of a left field pick, maybe, maybe not. But I'd I'd, I'd actually quite consider Riyad Mahrez, uh, Manchester City. I think, um, you know, he's 8.4, so he's a similar price point. With Sterling, uh, uh, not Sterling, sorry, with Aguero and Jesus both injured, yeah, Mouris is probably going to start week in, week out, at least for the next few. So I think, you know, and he did pretty well as well in that opening game, his first game of the season against Leicester where he picked up a goal and assist. So I think certainly he will, um, he'll be in Pep's plans and uh, could easily get him some decent returns. So he's perhaps the main one. I think the other two, we saw them in the market forces, so quick shower would probably be Zaha and um, and James Rodriguez, perhaps, as, as two other picks. But Maris would probably be the one that I would suggest.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think Nick's really kind of captured the the overall state of things there. I think Trossard is a, an interesting differential you could throw in as well, to, um, hit the post, I don't know how many times at the weekend, and is just always seems to be quite good on the underlying stats does get the returns and is only £6 million, so you could save up funds for elsewhere. I guess on the, the the topic of Spurs and maybe just to throw it in is that I think Harry Kane is kind of a bit of a sleeper option there that people aren't looking at because he's only scored once and like the fact of the matter is he's a penalty taker but we haven't necessarily seen him profit from that status like the likes of Jamie Vardy have so far but he's actually third for non-Pen XG in the league behind Calvert-Lewin of course and Lacazette which is a bit more of a lol I guess. So I think if you were getting out of Spurs um, in the form of Son, I think you should definitely be looking to get Kane in just to, not so much to cover yourself, but more because he's almost their main only attacking outlet um, in the current circumstances until at least Gareth Bale returns from injury.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I, I think if it is just a straight swap, they, um, I'm not sure I'd be going to Lucas Moore or something like that. Um, no, no, it's 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 go to Kane. Don't bother with the rest of them in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Makes sense. No, I agree. With, I agree with those recommendations. Um, I think the only one I want to throw in here is maybe Harvey Barnes. Um, just because they've got two pretty good games against double claret's uh, coming up, West Ham, uh, West Ham Aston Villa, isn't it? And um, you know, he's starting fairly well. And do time tell my stats here, I suppose. So he's uh, had uh, the third most shots. The most shots on the target the second most shots in the box and his xG is about sieve so he's started the season pretty damn well uh, if you don't own Vard- Vardy as well he could be a really nice sort of Riker pick um a foil to him um it looks like sort of uh those points are coming at the very least he's a fifth as well on fans of Hub's expected points stat um so he'd be one that I'd be interested in at least um in, in the midfield that is
2: and if you're a fan of serious Schadenfrodo and believe in it, then uh, Bruno Fernandes, 10.5 million, coming up against Spurs next. Penalty taker, just to annoy Mr. Jose Mourinho, wouldn't be surprised if we yeah, just he saw. Scored <laughs> he
1: scored a penalty in the restart, don't forget. That was the first game back, he scored a penalty. Yes,
2: three. yeah, and it, it would be pretty funny to find uh, Bruno Fernandes nailing a penalty just to drive Mourinho crazy. And it could happen. It could yeah, very well
1: happen. What happened? I remember that I removed him on my free hit. And uh, he scored a penalty, and I was very, very oh, I wasn't upset at all. I was just, I was just like oh, that's what was gonna happen. Right, okay, you, next we were doing the yoga at that point or on I, the craft beer uh, at that yeah. stage. I think I was on the beer <laughs> rather than doing yoga. Right, okay, next question. Um Werner slash Martial replacement. So Andrew Helmsetter and FPL O'Hiri ask, What are we doing with Martial and or Werner? Um so they've noted that um I own Martial and Nick uh, owns Werner. Anthony, do you own either? Uh, Verna, uh very, Ver- so yeah. so what are we doing with these guys? Obviously there's a lot of market activity around them a bit of a fire sale uh, truth be told and both in price so so what are we doing those two guys ask. Um, Anthony do you want to go first?
2: Yeah sure um, I guess I've already outlined the allure of Kane and so if you haven't got Harry Kane on your side there's easy, easy straight swap there 10.5 mil just find a little bit more bank and
1: <laughs> find the million out of nowhere guys
2: yeah just find, find a little bit more bank and off you go with a pretty good striker there in Harry Kane uh, of course coming up against United next whose defence hasn't exactly been all that impressive so far and mm. um, Whilst Calvert-Lewin is seemingly definitely the better pick so far, Richarlison's underlying stats remain quite good, and doubling up on Everton as ridiculous as it might sound, um, it might have sounded a few weeks ago, doesn't sound like a bad option now. And then there is, of course, Raheem, as we were talking about that, Fulham coming up next means that you'd ha- you'd have to consider him consider him just because of that. You'd be nuts not to and of course, look, he's he's shown us over years that we can expect good performances from him and he was the postman for so long and I expect him to return to that role quite soon. Danny Ings as well, West Brom, next.
0: Yeah, I was going to say for me, I think it's a choice between Ings and um, Eminence, isn't it? So Game week yeah. one all over again. It's, it's, it's targeting teams again as well so <laughs> Ings has West Brom at home, who conceded 11, Fulham conceded 10 Jimenez has Fulham at home ideally i would want both to be honest if I could and certainly like I'm kind of flitting between the two I was kind of thinking about Jimenez now I'm starting to think about Danny Ings again because Danny Ings seems to have the the form perhaps a little bit more compared to Jimenez so he might be the one that I end up going with and then hope to cover walls with with Podence if he's fit so it might be Ings that I end up going with but I think those two are perhaps the, the key key men that I'd pull out and I'd probably suggest those as the two picks ahead of um you know these kind of hipster picks of Calvert Lewin and Bamford that seem to be floating around a
1: little bit as well. Anything to avoid getting Paddy in your team, ain't it? Um, a hipster pick Dominic Calvert Lewin, top uh, scorer in the Premier League, yeah, <laughs> the only man to have risen point four. Um, yeah, okay. So um, on this one, then, guys, I I was looking at it actually. I own Martial, and um, these guys own Werner, and I, I was looking at it on um, I it was on Saturday night. He was about to drop and. Um, I I had the I even got as far as the confirm screen, uh, Martial to Ings, and I had a few beers. I had a few beers, you know, um, but for some reason, this sort of lucidity came over me that it was probably better to have two free transfers at the end during international break when everything goes all COVID mad, than to do a mid game week transfer for the sake of 0.1. So I left it. He's now down to eight point nine I feel like the sunk cost fallacy kicks in where I feel like, well, I've lost that money now. I'm never going to recover that. So I might as well just keep going and roll the transfer. Yeah. All right. This week I'm absolutely petrified of Mr. Ings against West Brom. And I'm also fairly petrified that Vardy's going to start a streak. Um, but the thing is, and there's that came fella, but you know, he, he plays in defence midfield, right? Um, but I mean, the thing is, is that I think it's better to have three, two free transfers to enable me to do like a real wholesale change after the national break with all that information. Um, and, I think that at the moment I'm going to be leaving Martial in just because he's the kind of guy who can go from one week being totally not asked to the next week being the superstar who gets a brace out of nowhere. And so I'm going to be hoping that's true and leaving it for the time being but yeah I mean I can understand when people are selling I can understand why you guys are both uh, potentially looking at selling Verna. I wouldn't be surprised when it comes to transfers and captains um, if you've turned around and gone yeah I've got rid of him already especially for him and Jimenez who I already own if you don't own and Stryker or Michalson or um, DCL I understand that probably worth doing but I already own Michalson. but yeah me owning him and probably means that you guys are both buying in Jimenez. I already have him, so that's quite nice quite nice for me that I can then roll the transfer whereas you guys over the International Break will not be able to roll the transfer. So swings. I'll X be using my wild card. <laughs> oh yeah, true, but I'll have my wild card in, in situ, you know? There's swings at roundabouts, as they say. And the final thing, a matter of time. FPL Dempsey asks, are we finding the fixtures across the weekend? adds to our enjoyment of fpl or causes unnecessary decision fatigue or overthinking as things happen and um, so i think this is actually quite an interesting question because i mean i'm in a few dm groups and i obviously um, i watch fpl twitter and obviously we've got our little kind of slack that we keep alluding to and it's really interesting not so much on our slack but on fpl twitter and on the fpl dm groups to just see the 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 wind shaking
2: bastions and, of logic I'm sure.
1: oh absolutely the the weather vane just moves from side to side throughout the game week, you know, you have everybody on one player during the game week. This other guy scores and something; they're all on that player, and they completely ignore the first kind of thing. It is absolutely fascinating to see how it changes. It really is, and um, I think that it is probably a product of the fact that we're seeing these fixtures in a staggered formation, and each game gets its own sort of individual sense of uh, analysis and evaluation, which you don't quite get when all the games are together at the three p.m. Um, and to that extent, I do think it causes at least a sense of decision fatigue and overthinking because the amount of one eighties I've seen, be it in a group chat or be it on a Twitter account saying I've, you know, I'm definitely doing this and then kind of four hours later tweeting, Oh yeah, no, I've done this now. Um, it's, it, times up. number I've seen, I'm not blaming anybody it, it does happen, it's just a fact of life if you put your opinion out there, nothing wrong with it, I've done it many a time, um, but it is incredible really and I think it is kind of the, the product of the spread of the fixtures on the weekend, um, the fact is that I don't look at my, um, as, a, as a rule I don't look at my rank during the week and I, I, I do obviously look at my points but I, I just don't look at my rank or, or if I don't look at it I don't really kind of take it to heart because it doesn't matter and at the end, of, the end is what accounts, at the end is when you start kind of making Making, for me, at least, decisions or conclusions around what I've seen. There's no point in the first game we are going, I rewon that guy. My God, he scored. And then by the second game, you're like, oh, this guy's also scored. I don't I, maybe I want him. Um, having a running commentary, yeah, fair enough. It makes sense, but it's just not for me. It's, not, it's it, I'm more of the school of, if I've got nothing constructive to say, I'm going to say nothing until I've got something constructive to say. Um, what do you guys think about this? Has the rolling fixtures uh, changed uh, and impacted your decision fatigue, such overthinking?
0: Ultimately, it has like extended or. Uh sort of weekends a little bit in terms of the football because it's not the case that okay you know you've got a bunch of games going on at 3 p.m on a Saturday you might have a couple of live games on a Sunday and you know a couple of other live games perhaps on the Saturday and, that, and that's basically it right now it's kind of like you know the the games start at midday and, and you know they're, they're going on until sort of nine o'clock at night and uh and, you know, it's over the course of three days and you've got all these live games and it is kind of, it's quite wearing and it does kind of, you know, you see a lot of people stressing out saying, you know, I've had a terrible game week when in fact, they you know, only actually had four of their assets play so far, and it's just because someone that they don't know has, has gone and scored a hat trick or, or something along <laughs> like those lines. And you know, I'm guilty of it as well when I was having my breakdown over Dominic Calvert-Lewin and an in the Everton assets. beginning gave me two, which ended up being a very bad game for me. But you know, um, I think ultimately it does it does add to the enjoyment, of course. You know, everyone's having lots of fun watching all the football and getting lots of fun. But then you know, I think it does kind of again. You know, Dempsey's got it right it does also it does both basically it does cause enjoyment but it does also create a little bit of decision fatigue as well and overthinking and over analysis perhaps
2: yeah maybe just to kind of add on to it like there is an element for me that and I'm, i i do know that i've we've had one zoomed out talking about our conversation about fpl already and i kind of took a very negative view on like the world around us and <laughs> everything the context within which the games are happening and i think that definitely affects what's going on as much as the fact that the fixtures are spread out but it does lead to a football fatigue but also a football discourse fatigue like this weekend especially just the drawn out crescendo about penalties genuinely just drove me off twitter for most of Sunday because i just couldn't bear to watch it anymore and i would say as well that there are a lot more tepid takes coming out of people during games and tom's alluded to this a bit but some of these can be extremely daft based on the wide array of eye tests some from more practiced eyes than others and i think it it means that if you were using just twitter and opinion as a way to kind of gauge warmth towards a player or something it's it's much harder to do that and maybe maybe this kind of lends a an insight into me placing too much weight on just the overall like feeling in the community towards a player and whether i should be you know considering them extra extra hard and like i'm not taking this from the point of view of i don't want to miss out but it's more just like i have to make sure that i'm not going to miss out because I'm blocking out some player because of whatever stats I've looked at that these people are taking some other conclusion about. Um, so, so it's like, does it add to my FPL enjoyment? Yes and no. Like there's absolutely so much more to get from it because I feel like I can, if you have a good, a good eye, and I don't know if I do, but if you feel like you have a good eye for picking something out from watching games and having a better opportunity to watch more games, then you definitely can get much more satisfaction from something going right for your FPL team. Whereas there are, of course, still so much just unnecessary information kind of being plugged <laughs> into the mind that it can cause a fatigue over time.
1: Exactly. I think it, it just kind of adds to the onus upon you as being a discerning consumer of information. I mean, that's basically the watchword, isn't it? But yeah, um, there are a lot more opinions because there's a lot more focus on a particular fixture in isolation and that continues 10 times per game week. And then it's just the case of kind of for some things identifying them as just being kind of irrational anger fair enough just leave that be but there are a few kind of great places and you find them for yourself i'm not going to recommend anybody um that you think oh, okay i agree with that or at least that's very useful that challenges my view or that helps me kind of analyze my view evaluate my view put it in context and as i said it's just about you being a conscientious and discerning uh, consumer of information and um, hopefully by listening to this podcast you think that our views are very useful for that right okay let's move on to the transfers and captains and uh, yeah in terms of being a, uh, a discerning consumer or at least a discerning listener you probably would have intuited that I'm leaving my team this week and um, the only thing that I'm going to be kind of uh, weighing up is whether I captain Jimenez against Fulham or whether I captain De Bruyne against Leeds I think both games are going to be a bit mad obviously Jimenez is not particularly noted for being explosive. Um, but I mean, if he's going to score his uh, multi, uh, multi-return multi week of the season, it's probably going to be at Fulham, isn't it? But that Man City leads Bielsa versus Guardiola, Padawan versus Master could be an absolute explosion of goals. It could be easily a 5-4 or something like that. So you probably back KDB to be involved. I don't know yet. Him there feels like a, a nine-pointer at least is, is, a, is just... Guaranteed, so maybe I'll be looking at that. And Christ knows by the fact of how mad the season has been, I wouldn't be shocked if Leeds Man City was 0 0. So there you go. All right, what have you guys uh, done with Werner then? Uh, Anthony?
2: I've done nothing so far, but I'm, I'm kind of weighing up that Ings Jimenez. Uh, one of the two, and that's probably all that's going to happen for me. It'll be either Ings or him, and is in for Werner. Although I do wonder if just the way the season has gone, maybe going back to that idea that if, is this the week that by selling Werner he goes off and gets a brace against Crystal Palace, who haven't been you know all that interest like all that uh, brilliant in defence, uh, in spite of having I guess a, a victory against United. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily rule out the chance of Werner suddenly finding the net there. Um, that's it, uh, De Bruyne a captain against Leeds Seems like the simple option If I brought in Ings, I think I would be considering him I don't think I'd captain Jimenez if I brought him in
0: Yeah, I think for me, as I said It's the same scenario, saying Werner I haven't done any moves yet I've actually got a couple of yellow flags in the team opponents and Vardy So I'm probably just going to hopefully hear That those guys are fit and raring to go And then I'll, I'll make a move So it's probably going to be Werner out for Ings or Jimenez not sure which at the moment I did actually have the armband on Serra but I'm starting to rethink that a little bit considering Aston Villa I haven't conceded yet and seem to be ridiculously defensive, so defensively solid so far so I might have to consider that um captaincy and maybe i uh, put it on De Bruyne or maybe even one of the guys that comes into the team Ingrid Jimenez something I don't really like doing you bringing in the player and giving them the armband straight away but might consider it. So very much up in the air as my captain Haven't picked for CERN. And my transfer stood up in the air as well. So inconclusive. Just to say who we are, of course, we are Who Got The Assist. Thanks very much, guys, for listening. If you're a new listener and enjoyed the pod, make sure to hit that subscribe button and give us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed it as well. Really appreciate a five-star review.
2: Yeah, Rue will be absolutely brilliant. If you want to join the mini league, if you're not in it already, the code is CPSULF. We'll be back next week when hopefully things will be an awful lot better. And we will also have a correspondence section then. So get your correspondence into who got the assist at gmail.com.
1: <laughs> yep, uh, thanks very much. Uh, we hope we assisted make sense of the madness. Good luck in game week four. Hopefully it will be better for everybody, um, ourselves included, and speak to you next week. Hopefully in a more jubilant fashion. Goodbye. Yeah.